Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles under the chairs in front of you. Um, and, of course, it's always great to have one that you're bringing week in and week out because you get used to it that way. But if you ever need a Bible, they're, they're there. If you Perhaps you're not a Christian and you came with somebody and uh, don't have a Bible. It would be great to pick that up and, and just help you to follow along as we're studying it. And you'd find 1 Corinthians chapter 12 on page 1,149 in those, in those Bibles. 1,149. In just a moment, we'll read it. I'll give you a little bit of an introduction, though. You guys are aware that there's many different organizations that the strength of the organization as a whole depends on individually diverse strengths among the people involved. Let me give you some examples. Uh, think of a basketball team. If all you had were athletic but short ball handlers, nobody tall, nobody that could shoot, Nobody with bigger muscles, just short, quick people. They would struggle to win games. Or think of an orchestra. If all the orchestra had was drums. I mean, I guess it wouldn't be an orchestra, right? But we know that an orchestra needs many instruments. They need woodwinds and string and brass and percussion. They need violins and violas and cellos and trombones and tubas. And they all... Those, in, those individually diverse instruments contribute to the whole. Likewise, a choir sounds better with a range of voices. Building a home requires a, a general contractor and, and a plumber and electrician and a finished carpenter and tile worker and a roofer and, and right now lots and lots of money, right, to build a home. We know that those all, those skill sets, diverse work together to build a home. And the same is true for a church. And this is what we started to see last week in 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll continue this week, that in this passage on spiritual gifts, the big idea is that God has sovereignly, according to his own will, distributed gifts to different people in different ways so that those gifts would work together for the good of the body. In these passages, they're not so much intended to explain the different gifts in great detail or answer controversial questions right away. It's to show that God has distributed as he wills and they're to work together for the good of the body. The temptation is to allow those things to be things that cause division when people don't share the same strengths and passions as we do. And so the theme that repeats throughout would be things like this. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There's variety, different ways that God has gifted each of you. There's the same spirit, it's the Holy Spirit behind each of them. Or we're going into chapter 13, because this section continues, it emphasizes the priority of love. It says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That these gifts must operate with love for them to be effective. Or as we get into chapter 14... We'll see this, 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. These things are done for the edification, the building up of the church. So as we will wrap up this chapter today, we'll see these themes continue. And we're going to take some time to, as best as we can, define some of these spiritual gifts. So I'm going to start reading now in verse 12, and we'll go to the end of the chapter. I'm actually going to start in verse 11. 
But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one body. For the body is not one member, but many. The foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now, God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gift of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you a still more excellent way. We're going to go through the first two points kind of quick because I want to give more time to develop what these gifts are. These first two points really continue with what we saw last week, if you were here. It just continues this same theme. There's one body, but many members. One body, but many members. And in fact, it it has an extended analogy that is simply there to explain verse 11. Where verse 11 says, There's one and the same Spirit working all these things, distributing to each as He wills. And then it talks about the church body, us, being like a physical body with various parts, various members that work together. He says in verse 13 that our unity as a church body is not based on like common hobbies, same socioeconomic level, same ethnic background, even the same language or culture. It's, it's not based on any of those things. It's based, on, it's based on Christ. And it's based on the work of the Spirit in our lives. Verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. This is referring to what we call the baptism of the spirit. It's not a later work that happens to some people after salvation. 
because it says it's true of all believers. We were all baptized into one body. Simply that which John the Baptist predicted in Mark chapter 1, verse 8. He says, I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus affirmed in Acts 1.5 that that's about to happen. So it's just simply a way to describe the work of the Spirit when somebody comes to Christ, placing them, identifying them with the body of Christ. This church body places you in this community of believers when you come to Christ. And it's this that unites us. Then he describes this analogy of the human body as a way to picture that unity. The human body obviously has all these different parts. And this is a great analogy that, that kids can understand well. I mean, you look, you've got hands and feet and eyes and ears. and All these do different things, but your body needs all of them. And if all you had was like a hand, and somehow it was magically able to work, not much you'd be able to do, right? You, you need to be able to see and hear and walk and... And just because the hand's not a foot, the hand shouldn't feel like it's not a part of the body. We can get that. I mean, we can get that with a human analogy. But the point is, same thing with the church body. You might have gifts that are different than others around you, and you might feel out of place sometimes. Like, oh, why don't people care about the same thing that I care about? Why don't they care about more like hands-on, getting their hands involved in practical needs for people? And why are they just concerned about kind of learning things and knowledge and not getting their hands dirty. And others might say, why doesn't this person care more about these deep things studying them that I care about? And so each one can feel sort of out of place, but he says, no, no, there's diversity there in the body. But not only are they diverse, they're interdependent. It continues with that same analogy to show how the parts of the body are not just different from one another, but they're designed that way so that they're interdependent, so that no one person can just function on their own in the church body. Our body parts need one another. Look at verse 21, again talking about the human body. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And we know that with the human body. Like if all you had was a hand, but you couldn't see what to grab, that hand wouldn't do a lot of good. Think of a, you know, a little kid, a little baby, learning to use their body parts. And Parents will know this experience of watching this with their kids where they go from being able to see things and, and kind of flailing their limbs at it, right, but not able to actually grab it. And, and then there's this proud moment where they like flail at the thing and they hit it. And, and then they learn to kind of grab it with their whole hand and then with their little pincher grip, right, and they're gaining more and more motor skills as their body parts learn to work together as they're designed to be. So that's the way that the church body is. This diversity of gifts is designed to work together. Even those parts of the human body, he says in verse 22, that seem to be weaker, they're necessary. Or verse 23, it says, the members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. I think talking about those parts of the body that are perhaps more fragile, or in modesty we cover up, or even our internal organs, that they may seem less honorable and yet uh, specific function, and in fact greater honor in some ways that we bestow on them. It says that's the nature of the human body. So it is with the body of Christ. Every part, 
although some might seem to be weaker, um, have great value. And he goes on to say that not only are these things interdependent, it's a designed interdependence. Look at verse 24. Middle of the verse, he says, But God has so composed the body in this way, giving more abundant honor to that which lacked. Verse 25, so that there may be no division in the body. The fact that none of you, just like me, have all the gifts necessary to make a church function is by design. So that you're not just kind of in your own little silo doing your own thing, just you and Jesus, but that you need one another. Designed by God in that way. Because what that does is it brings us together so that we can care for one another. Look at the point that he goes on to make. Verse 25, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know this with your human body. Pain in one spot just radiates through it all, right? Whether it's chronic pain or like stubbing your toe. Like we, we just recently replaced some chairs in our kitchen that were kind of built in and off the ground with some regular ones that have like legs on the ground. And my toes have not yet learned that difference. And so I continue to like walk around the corner barefoot and just stub my toe, stub my toe. And you might think, like the toe's so small. How does it hurt so bad? Um, but it does. And that pain radiates through the body. So so that the whole body suffers with it. And he says that's the way the church body should be. That, that pain in one spot, the whole body shares that. So that person is not suffering alone. It's often been said that pain that is shared is pain divided. As we share it with others, as others bear that load with us, it becomes somewhat lighter in some way because we're not suffering alone. Why does that show up in the middle of a long section on spiritual gifts? Because he's making the point that God has made us interdependent for that very reason. So that we would suffer with one another, rejoice with one another, care for one another. So that we cannot operate just individually. So the question for you, a little mini application at this midpoint is, are you developing relationships within the body in such a way that that people can share pain with you they can help you carry the load when you're suffering you can help them that you would know about it and and care about it or are you functioning in such a way that you're really kind of isolated from others even if you're showing up intermittently but but really there's not a depth of relationship there I would encourage you to to not remain there look for ways to jump into a small group as we especially often they pause for the summer but restart in the fall look for ways to jump into a small group look for ways to serve together as people serve on a you know worship team or serve even like the work day coming up on the 12th and that's not just to plug it right now right but like those kind of things as we work together and we end up talking as we're working those relationships are built and Develop the necessary connections to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. This passage says that it's by design. Our interdependence is by design there. He sums it up in verse 27 by saying, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. There's individuality, there's difference, and yet corporately you're Christ's body. 
So what are these gifts, though? That's where I want to give the bulk of our time. I want to acknowledge that it may be a little bit more of just kind of a data dump than usual because I just want to give you some information on some of these gifts so that you kind of know what they're talking about and maybe can see them in yourself and in others. It's one body, but many gifts. These gifts show up in four different lists in the New Testament. This one that we just read at the end of chapter, 20, or chapter 12 lists them off. There was earlier in chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, as well as Ephesians 4. I want to read these lists and then make some observations, and then we'll start trying to explain them. We just read the end of chapter 12, so I won't reread that. Look a little earlier in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7. It says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. Some of those gifts are repeated at the end of the chapter, but not all. Now flip to Romans chapter 12. Romans is the book right before 1 Corinthians, right before this one that we're in. I'll give you just a minute to turn there. Romans 12, just like 1 Corinthians 12, contains a description of these gifts. And as we read it, you might see that there's some different ones mentioned and some overlap. Romans 12, starting in verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Some different gifts. like Mercy showing up there. But some repeated. Now flip to one more passage, Ephesians chapter 4. So we get Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. And Ephesians 4 has the shortest of all these lists, of the four lists. Ephesians chapter 4, the list is actually in verse 11, but we'll read all the way to verse 13. So Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. This lists off four or five things depending on how we read those. And it says these are given to build up until we reach maturity, until the body is being matured. In these four lists, then we end up with somewhere between 15 and 19 gifts, depending on, some will think overlap, like helps and service, they're kind of talking about the same thing. So 15 to 19, not repeated all throughout, and so I think we're to take these as illustrative and not exhaustive, meaning this isn't a, necessarily an exhaustive, complete list of all the potential spiritual gifts, it's illustrative, although it's hard to imagine a gift that wouldn't at least fit within one of these other lists. These things are listed 
But you might notice they're not defined. They're not explained for us. It, I think, is by design. Could have, kind of as a, di- a dictionary definition, listed and explained. Uh, and yet the brevity, I think, is there intentionally. Uh, John MacArthur says this, I think, very helpfully. Because of their uniqueness in the lives and ministry of millions of Christians, the gifts are not narrowly defined. We can define them only generally by the terms used in Scripture. So all we can do is we look at the terms, the words, and just kind of surmise then how they would function. I don't think they're kind of really tightly defined, too, in the sense that there's often overlap in various ones. You might think of it, it's been described this way, as like a painter's palette. So you picture a palette that a painter has different globs of paint on. And when he or she wants to make a, a color, they, they blend different colors together and paint with those so that no two colors end up identical because they're mixing and matching with different paints there. So somebody shouldn't necessarily see it as like just the gift of teaching. Maybe there's teaching and, and encouragement and wisdom and mercy kind of blended together in different mixes with different people. Some of the guests, we believe, were temporary, serving a particular function in the early church, but have not continued. Others are permanent throughout this whole time. We'll get into more of those details in chapters 13 and 14. So if you have questions there, that's coming. It's coming. Lastly, point I want to make before we get into them, is that we all are to exhibit some of these, even if it's not necessarily our gift, because it's just part of a, being a mature Christian. So some people might have the gift of giving, but we're all to give. Some might have the gift of mercy, but that doesn't excuse you to like be a jerk, right? She's like, well, I don't have the gift of mercy. I'm like, no, no, we all show mercy. Some excel at it. So, so for many of these, it's, there are things that are true of all of us, but some excel. Okay, with that in mind, I want to run through these, and it's going to have to be kind of quick, but I want you to at least have some definitions here, and then I'll give you an example at the end of how they might work together. Two of the lists mentioned Service or helping. Be providing practical help or assistance. This would be like Onesiphorus in Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. Paul was in prison, and a man named Onesiphorus says that he, he sought him out, and he refreshed him, and he offered services to help him. So perhaps that was bringing food, perhaps clothing, you know, something that tangibly met that need. This person that's gifted in this way would be somebody who just loves to, to meet practical needs. To, to, you know, they, they mow somebody's lawn when they're injured. They, they want to babysit the kids. They, they want to help with the project. If, if they think of a missions project overseas where they're going to go help build an orphanage and they're going to be hands-on for two weeks, they'd love that. That gets them excited. This might be somebody with this gift. Aren't these people so valuable in the body? Those that just can meet practical needs, maybe at the facility, maybe at other people's homes, maybe in caring for widows. We, we, we need these gifts. Encouraging. Or depending on your translation, I might say exhorting. It's a, it's a word that can be translated either way. It has to do with urging others to pursue proper conduct and consoling them. So somebody who... You love to be with people like this because they, there's something about conversations with them that at the end you just feel like you love God more just from being with them. That They so encourage your heart. They provide such comfort when you're, when you're hurting. 
as they console. Barnabas is described this way in Acts chapter 4. And in fact, his name, they call him that because it means son of encouragement. What a valuable gift. Giving. Generously and cheerfully giving to God's work. Again, we're all to give, and yet some people just excel at it. They find particular joy in it. They, they love looking for specific ways to give. They love giving above and beyond what is considered to be expected of them. And in so doing, they encourage others to give like that as well. The way these gifts function in the body is not only do people then give like that, but their example encourages others. A classic example from the 20th century, a man named R.G. Letourneau. He made millions through inventions, primarily inventing large equipment that was used in mining. And he loved to give, so much so that by the end of his life, he was keeping 10% to live on and giving 90%. And he said, it's just this classic quote, he said, I keep shoveling it out, like the money, I keep shoveling it out, but God keeps shoveling it in, and God has a bigger shovel. And he says, I'm giving, and I'm giving, and I'm giving, but God just keeps giving more back. So often somebody with this gift is blessed financially, but not necessarily. This could be somebody who doesn't necessarily have a lot, but they love to meet and uh, meet needs and give sacrificially with what they do have. Leadership. It's two terms, I think, leading and administering, that the way they're used, I think are talking about the same thing, of organizing and administering the work of ministry. Word for administering is often used of a captain on a ship navigating the waters through stormy waters. This is somebody who can see an objective, formalize it, mobilize a group of people to get there. Might be Titus in Titus 1.5 where Paul sends Titus to this situation and he says, Titus, you are to, you are to uh, set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city. It might be a leading, administrating type of gift. Church board obviously needs people like this. But it doesn't necessarily have to be people on a board. People that are just good at mobilizing others, seeing what needs to be done, administering that to, to get it accomplished. Be somebody who has this gift. Gift of mercy. Special capacity to minister to those who are hurting. Again, we're all do that. It's just a character quality of maturity. And yet you probably know people like this that are especially the ones you want to talk to when you're hurting. They... They just they put an arm around you. They weep with you as you weep. They're the ones that love to visit people at the hospital. There might be some of you that the thought of visiting a sick person at the hospital is just terrifying. Not because you're going to get sick, but because you're just like, I don't know what to say. Right? You just maybe feel awkward at that. This is a person who just loves to run to those situations because they just are good at it. and they're, They bring a particular help and encouragement. Gift of evangelism. Those that are really gifted at presenting the gospel with clarity. And they have a particular burden for the unsaved. They care deeply about the lost. As of course we all should. But they have a particular burden there. And they always look for opportunities to share their faith. And they're good at it. And it seems like God blesses that. These people make great missionaries and church planters. They could be anybody else in the body that is gifted at this, and they encourage others. They're the ones who are saying, hey, we should bring in somebody to do some training on evangelism. Hey, hey, I'm praying for my neighbor who doesn't know Christ. Would you pray with me for, for them? And they're bringing him over for a meal, and they, they just get fired up on that. Philip is described this way. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5, he's proclaiming Christ in a certain city. In Acts chapter 28, he's described as Philip the evangelist. 
It's this gift of evangelism. Faith. All believers have saving faith. That's what it means to, to be saved. You, you place your faith in Christ and trust in him alone to save you. And so it's not talking about that, but it's talking about those with seemingly an extraordinary faith and vision for the future. They tend to see ways in which God could be at work, even in a difficult circumstance. They, they trust God, even in hard storms. They, there's an optimism, not like in themselves or in human nature or something, but in God and what he's able to do. These are people that, on a board, for example, as the church board is planning out the budget for the coming year, these are the ones that are encouraging the board to say, hey, let's, let's kind of stretch a little bit. Let's trust God for something new here. Let's trust him perhaps for more funds to come in. And there might be others who are saying, man, it kind of makes me nervous, but these people push a board in that way. Gift of discernment, or it's described as distinguishing spirits. It, it's the ability to discern between what is true and false. Again, we should all be discerning. And yet there are some people that are very good at that. At kind of identifying trends, seeing flaws in arguments, comparing it to scripture. And these are ones that really care about that in a particular way and urge others to do the same. There can be a temptation towards negativity and that they're always looking for what's wrong. Uh, and yet what a gift this is to the body. Teaching. Communicating the truth and applications of Scripture. This one runs through the various lists as well. It could be somebody with more of an upfront thing, but it might be somebody who just loves to disciple new believers and meet up one-on-one, or they want to teach a class of kids or lead a Bible study. It doesn't have to be super public. But they're gifted at communicating things. I think the two gifts early in 1 Corinthians 12, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, fall underneath this. Because teaching is not mentioned in that first list in 1 Corinthians 12, but it is in all the others. And these are really teaching components. The word of knowledge or word of wisdom is just a message of knowledge, a message of wisdom. So I think we can define these as sort of underneath teaching. Word of knowledge is somebody who's gifted at understanding and communicating knowledge, especially complex things from the word. So people who love to study in depth and take complicated topics and make them understandable. This might be the college president, but it might also be, I think of a few friends I have that aren't even in vocational, like full-time ministry, but they're so sharp and good at reading big things, complicating things, taking them, explaining them to, to those of us that, like, we need the cookies on the lower shelf, right? And some people are so good at that. Others are maybe particularly good at, at taking that with wisdom and applying it to life. So perceiving and presenting the truth of God as it applies to specific situations. So not just the academic knowledge that the, the gift of knowledge might seem more like that, but, but bringing it home to real life. This might be the, the biblical counselor, the, the person who takes things and helps you apply it to real life situations. Prophecy, we're going to get a lot more detail in chapter 14. So I'm only going to briefly hit on it here. Speaking truth revealed from God. When we get to chapter 14, we're going to wade into that in some more detail. Is it present today? If so, how? If not, why not? So that's coming. So I'm going to just kind of leave that there. But it's speaking truth revealed from God. Tongues, likewise, we'll get more information on in the end of chapter 13 and chapter 14. But comparing it to what we see in the book of Acts, we see it as speaking in a human language not understood by the speaker. Acts Chapter 2, 
verses 4 to 6, we see, we see this account. It says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, other languages, as the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation. This is important. People from all these other nations had gathered there. It says, And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. There are these people that were supernaturally enabled to speak a language that they didn't know. And, and, and these people were amazed because they were hearing this. Likewise, the interpretation of tongues, making a human language understandable to somebody who does not understand the language. It's the, the hearing and retelling part of it. Again, that comes up more in chapter 14. I know it's somewhat of a loaded topic. We'll give more time to it then. Apostleship. Listed in a couple places. Those were these ones that were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ, and they were charged to speak authoritatively about faith and practice. These are described as foundational things at the foundation level of the church, founding by bringing together correct doctrine and life and these planting of the churches. Healing, the ability to cure diseases and injuries. Comes up, we read about it in the book of Acts. We read it as they supernaturally were enabled by the Lord to to heal various things. It's related here to the gift of miracles, ability to perform works of power. Some lump these together because so many of the miracles were acts of healing. Again, there's questions there. Is this still continuing? Not does God heal or does God do miracles, but is this gift still active in the same way? And my short answer is I don't think so, but the longer answer is to come because it takes a whole message in itself. All right. That's a lot. I know, it's a lot, it's, it's a lot, but I wanted to kind of get you this data. Now, I want to give you one scenario where you might see a bunch of these gifts working together. And in this scenario, I want you to keep in mind what we said. It's not that these are all these different people with compartmentalized gifts ministering to a person. There might be an overlap but we'll kind of view this as different people just to give you an idea of this. Imagine somebody in the church body going through a painful and messy divorce. And it's, it's hard, it hurts, it's complicated. How would these various gifts come together to minister to that person? Imagine somebody with the gift of mercy. What will they do in this situation? They'll, they'll come up next to the hurting person, put their arm around them, they'll cry with them. They'll take them out to, to get coffee and just listen to them. They'll share that by weeping with them. It's the gift of mercy. What about somebody with the gift of helping or service? Well, they might see that in the middle of this divorce, the, the other spouse was typically taking care of the lawn mowing, and the lawn is getting long. And they might come in and, and mow the lawn, change the oil in the car, babysit the kids. Practical things that meet those needs that have come up in the middle of that divorce. What about somebody with this gift of knowledge, the word of knowledge, this teaching gift, but applied more academically? Maybe they're the one that will help explain what does the Bible actually say about divorce? Running through scripture, when is it allowed? When is it not? What is the biblical teaching on it? Is it justified in this situation? Is it within biblical grounds or not? That is this gift of knowledge, the way that might bless this person. What about the gift of wisdom? Maybe taking that same data and now helping to apply it to this messy situation. Because so often divorce is incredibly complex and messy. Fault in various people in various ways. Often 
complicated finances and other things that come up. And this person now will help them say, let's, let's apply the word to your life now. What, what have you done? What have you not done? What would be wise here? It, is, is there grounds for divorce? And so if so, is that still the wise thing to do? Is there a better route to pursue here? The gift of wisdom might help them walk in that. Somebody with the gift of giving might learn about a financial need that has come up from the divorce. This divorce is expensive. Maybe they'll help meet that need. Somebody with the gift of exhorting might graciously but clearly challenge them to do what's right, even in a hard situation. Maybe that, maybe that is staying in the marriage if there's not grounds. Maybe it's, it's leaving but owning up to some things on their side if there is grounds for that divorce. And somebody with the gift of exhorting might might help them to walk in obedience to the Lord in the middle of it. Somebody with the gift of faith might help them to not lose hope in the midst of that. Because they might just be so in despair, thinking my life is ruined, there's, there's no hope for the future. Somebody with the gift of faith might help them to, to kind of see how God might still be at work and that there's hope because of who God is, even in the midst of the situation. Now, those might overlap in some different ways, but I think you could see that somebody going through a divorce would need all of that, wouldn't they? They wouldn't just need somebody to cry with them. They might need somebody to walk with them to say, is this the right thing to do or not? But they don't need just academic information. Life hurts, and they need somebody to weep with them. So all these things are going to work together to minister to the person. All right, as we wrap up, I just want to remind you of what we saw last week because it carries on here. Look for ways to use whatever gifts you have for the good of the body. Don't be caught up with, why don't I have this one? Or I wish I had this. Use what you have for the glory of God and the good of others. If you're not sure ways in which God has gifted you, the best way to figure that out is just jump in at the lives of people. See what you're passionate about. See what you most care about. And the last thing I want to say is, remember, this is it's kind of an insider issue. Meaning it's talking to those who have come to Christ. Because as you come to Christ, you're You're gifted. But the first thing is to come to Christ. And so if you're not a believer, if you're not yet trusted in Christ, that's the first thing, the most important thing. And I would love to talk to you more about that. If Perhaps you've, been, you've grown up here. Perhaps you're visiting for the first time. Perhaps you've been here many times. But you think, you know, I don't, I don't know like, what it really is to be a Christian. I don't really know what it is to be saved I don't know if I am saved. I would love to talk to you more about that. I'd love to set up a time that works for you. Try to answer questions you have. Answer them by the word. Let's pray.